This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Today's show is sponsored by Hubble. Get quality daily contact lenses for half the price of the other guys. Go to HubbleContacts.com to get your first two weeks of lenses for free. That's 15 pairs of lenses for free. Go to H-U-B-B-L-E Contacts.com to get your first two weeks for free contact of free contacts right now. Today's show is also sponsored by Tracker. Make losing things a thing of the past. Pair Tracker to your smartphone, attach it to anything, and find its precise location with the tap of a button. Go to thetracker.com right now and enter the promo code BADCHRISTIAN for your free Tracker Bravo with any order. That's thetracker.com, promo code BADCHRISTIAN. All right, Joey, before we start, i got to tell you something. I know you heard it. Robbie from the Classic Crime beatbox last time, and I I was blown away. Like, So you have to bring you it. Bring, get it. Your, bring your rep back. You are the beatbox master. Before we can start this episode, please just show out. We can't let Classic Crime upstage us, okay? You're a pastor. You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. <laughs> He's back, Big Christian Podcast. Welcome back, Joey. Welcome back. We wow, got a lot to talk about Lord. today. We're still on the road out here, and you're back in your office. Me and Toby sitting up here in the bus. Last yeah. episode, you missed it. Last episode, you called. I don't know if you called in sick. I don't know exactly what was going on, but you texted us, said you couldn't get here until now. So. Yeah. You've got to update us on what's going on with you. I just need I need little mini sabbaticals every now and then. Sometimes it's <laughs> I have compassion fatigue and I just have to take a little mini sabbatical. Joey takes uh, you know once or twice a week an hour sabbatical. <laughs> Anytime, <laughs> that's how you pastors have to call any breaks they take sabbaticals. Yeah, it has right? to have good language. Can't you be have to have the, the language for it. So, but no, what, but, tell the people real quick that, that were listening to the episode last week what, why you missed it, and we'll move on. Why? Oh, I just had a meeting that I knew was going to run over, Damn. and I, it was starting late. I knew it was going to run over, and it was a very, it was one of those meetings that was sensitive in nature, and it was just like I need to just go ahead and make the call right now that I'm going to have to be late. So, how it, much bigger does this podcast sucks, but, have to get but, before but, you tell them it, to take a hike and and say you got a podcast to do? <laughs> well, here, yeah, here. In all fairness, though, I'm still trying to get used to our two daytime recording schedules we used to record at night only and then we moved to one day and now we're on two days so i'm trying to figure that out with my schedule so but yeah i I told you guys a lot of you guys know that priscilla and i literally doubled our square footage we've been living in like a 1400 square foot townhouse for since 2005 and you know it's taken a while but priscilla started selling some houses and then you know, making a little bit of money from Bad Christian, and here we are in a place where we could buy a super nice house, and so we did. So I'm sitting there at the table on Saturday drinking some coffee with Priscilla. We're kind of excited because we're really going to get the house totally taken care of, um, unpack everything, get the stuff organized. We're just like, all right, we're going to kill it today. Well, Gwenny, our second oldest, comes running into the living room and says, "There's, there's like a major flood upstairs." Oh no! Oh god! 
And so we're like, what? And she said, yeah, in the laundry room. So we both take off running and there's literally a good inch and a half of water in the laundry room. And so we're like, oh my gosh. So immediately we're trying to stop it all up. I mean, I'm throwing blankets on it and everything. And so we go around to the other side of the wall into Gwenny's room and it's starting to, you, you could see it going through the wall into her room. And so we're still thinking, okay, we got to get this up. It, at least, you know, we got it in the nick of time. Well, I go downstairs and literally from the corner of the, what do you, what do you call it? The uh, railing of the downstairs, literally from the corner, there's almost like a steady drip. And I'm looking up in the ceiling. I'm like, where's this drip coming from? It's literally finding itself all the way down the walls, uh, down the railing of the stairwell. I'm like, oh my gosh. I said, Priscilla, you need to come down here. So she's looking at it. And she's like, oh my gosh. So it's, so then uh, I, I'm actually, I, I forgot where I go, but Priscilla comes out there and we're, we literally just watch our downstairs ceiling fill up with water. Did you not uh, find the, the water shut off immediately? Did you go look for it? Oh, that? yeah. You had already shut yeah, the water, no. the main house water shut off. Did you get that yet? Yeah, yeah. Oh, not the main. No. So what happened was our <laughs> washer machine malfunctioned. So that that was that was the culprit. The hose uh, popped out, and so it was basically and and a guy that came, a, a friend of ours, you know, told Priscilla that she had overloaded the laundry. So it's funny how marketing works because these are marketing geniuses in Charleston. They're called the Boss, and growing up in Charleston, they have a song God that says "Go Water Boss, Call yes. the Boss." Exactly. And so I looked at Priscilla, and I mean, we're we're pretty frantic, and I was just like, "Should I call the Boss?" <laughs> 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 And she she actually said, "Who is the boss?" And I said, "The boss from I the commercial." We, so, did you have yeah, to sing so, her the song while all this? Back? I think I did. I think I did. <laughs> we have the same thing in Seattle. It's called and, and it's Beacon Plumbing. Yeah, and it, and the whole everything Marshawn Lynch does the ads for and stuff. It's quit freaking call Beacon. Yeah, yeah. So if you're freaking, you go oh, shit. What, what do I do? Call Beacon. Yeah, yeah. You work, it you worked. Know? It worked for Joey. Yeah. Should we call the yeah. boss? She's like, oh, totally. How well, is Bruce Springsteen going to help us? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they send a guy within an hour, and I mean, he's just, you know, they, they obviously are trained to be super sorry, and yet they're making money off of the situation. He's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. You know, so there's like water pockets that are filling up. The there's a fixture in the dining room and there all the little lights are being completely filled up with water. And so before the boss came, I I said, Priscilla, we need to just leave the fixtures alone. That's what your stepdad said. That's what the boss said. <laughs> and she said, I she says, I am not gonna just stand here and watch these ceilings just oh, basically so disintegrate awesome. without me doing anything. I'm gonna unhook these fixtures and at least let some of the water out. And I was just like Please don't, but I was, she's going to, you know, she's totally going to do it. And so here we are. She's, sta- I mean, imagine your wife standing on a ladder trying to get a fixture off, and then she just breaks down sobbing oh, because it's like everything is falling apart. And I mean, it really does seem like I, I'm, I've kind of gotten a little bit away from spiritual warfare being applied to every situation, but it has seemed like ever since we have committed to this house, there's been so many things that we've had to kind of fight through, 
even from selling our house, from things kind of going crazy with our house, and we're still not sure if HOA is going to reimburse us the money that we had to put in, which stuff that's their problem. But here's what I wanted to ask you guys is do and Matt especially you because I th- I kind of think I know how Toby would answer this but Matt you, is this going to be a spiritual warfare question or, or a construction no. question no <laughs> it's, it's it's like a perspective question like does your Can, mind could go you give here? us the how bad the damage I still kind of hung up on the construction yeah me we'll too don't move on from okay it. okay so we are actually not positive because Basically, what the boss does is they put massive dehumidifiers and fans. He's got like a uh, pipe that's stuck into the the wooden flooring in the hall, constantly sucking water out. He's got a huge fan and the carpet ripped up in Gwynny's, like just a corner of it to, to dry all of that. And that needed to be done for 48 hours. So 48 hours ended this morning and he came this morning and he definitely, so they have these little tools where you can just hit the floor and it beeps if there's water down there. So he could, he knows exactly where the water is and there still is too much moisture in the laundry room at least. So all of that flooring has to be ripped up. Um, it, it may just be cosmetics downstairs because that stuff dried up really well. But if there's insulation in there, then all, obviously the whole ceiling needs to be ripped out and all the oh insulation gosh. ripped out and everything. Is so here's the thing about this, and we'll move yeah, on. Yeah, I had no idea. The guy on the phone, the boss, he said, "I mean, you do know that insurance takes care of these things 99 percent of the time." That's and good. sure enough, I looked, I looked into the policy, and and it does. Now That's we have awesome. a twenty five hundred, we have a twenty five hundred dollar deductible. Oh, okay. So that kind of sucks. But at the same time, That's I mean, we. Yeah. So anyway, I I thought, you know, I'm in these sorts of situations, especially things that really upset Priscilla, I can kind of rise to the occasion and 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 really mentally put myself in a place where it really isn't the end of the world. Everything's okay. And here's where my mind went, and I'm curious what Matt thinks about this. Sorry, Toby. But Thanks. I thought to my <laughs> I thought to myself sitting at that table we literally had no idea this is going to happen. We're drinking our coffee. Gwenny comes and runs to us. And, and we'll never forget that moment like because that oh, was yeah. just such a crazy situation. We'll never forget that. But I thought it could have been dad, mom, Waylon won't wake up and his face <laughs> is purple. And, and, and here, <laughs> what? Here, here's why that uh, I know it sounds insane, but. When you put your mind there and you know that has happened to thousands and thousands of people, your perspective is, oh, I would much prefer this. And it just puts your mind in a place of this is such first world problems. And sure, we shouldn't feel bad about being upset. But at the end of the day, people lose their kids. You know what I'm saying? Like, does your mind even go there to make those sorts of comparisons and be like, oh, yeah, this is So this you have a specific question for me. Do I think that way? Do you think that's crazy that that's what my mind did? I was uh, like, this could be a billion times worse. Well, so, so to handle bad problems, you just think of the worst, worst problem. A worse problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, seriously, well, that, that happens to people. Let me I mean, tell it, you it, what I, mean, I think about that. I do have I a thought about it. <laughs> I, well, I don't go immediately to death. I would have gone, well, at least it wasn't the toilet and there's shit everywhere. That would have, you know, that, that, that's, that, well, that'd be a little bit worse. Okay, so I start at non, like, yeah. death <laughs> of a made, kid. Yeah. <laughs> I don't immediately go to, how can I handle my problems? Child death's way worse. Okay. Okay. But that's the I'm worst back. thing. That's the for the three of us. That is the worst thing that could happen. But that's you don't have to think of the worst thing. thing. <laughs> yeah. See. Yeah. I'll tell you my thoughts on that. And for when you said that a minute ago, it made me very uncomfortable. I mean, so I guess it, if it has that 
I guess, you know, in a way, thinking that way could be effective because it goes, oh, so now I don't have to think about that. But on the other hand, I would call what you did there a morbid fascination or a morbid fantasy is the category. But I didn't I do that. Up. No. I didn't do no, that. You did do that. Now, yeah. I know it's negative, but a lot of fantasies and all in the, in the entire category of self-harm itself is negative, but you choose it, and you choose it for a reason. So people, for instance, cut themselves to feel in control or to feel pain. They still choose it, and they don't think, oh, I like it, and it's fun. It's a choice. Uh, sexual fantasy is a, uh, uh, looking at porn or sexual fantasy, for instance, is a what you would call a positive or gratifying fantasy most for the most part, although it could be the opposite too. But nonetheless, it's engaging in non-reality or what I would call fantasy, a morbid fantasy, for some desired benefit to make yourself feel better. And it, I don't think it's good. In that same yeah. regard, yeah. I find it entering in non-reality fantasy to try to control your feelings, and I don't but think what, that's what, good. But what what if it's not for the purpose of controlling your feelings as much as it's just like no, keep things in perspective. There's that's a not lot how you're worse. Using it. You so, feel so, really, so really for bad, example, and you've chosen this thing to make yourself feel better. That's that's I'm, how I'm, I'm analyzing it. At least, and I'm open to that. But that is would true. There be, though. Is this is this different when when William says, "Man, I'm, I'm starving. When are we gonna eat?" And I say, "Hey, you know what? Let me show you what starving is." And I go to Google and I show him pictures yeah, see, that, again, of kids who not, are really starving. Again, that's that's denying reality, and you're not dealing with the emotion and situation at hand. It's still it's almost escapism in both cases. But he doesn't. I mean, ha- he needs that perspective. Okay. He's not starving. Stop whining. Yeah. There's people that are having a hard time finding water for the day, and you're complaining about supper being ten minutes. Yeah, late. but that's the super. That's important that's information. Least, that's at least lazy. I, and now he needs that perspective about the world, but that's not the cure for somebody's current problem. Like that doesn't cure his current reality problem that you have to be present with, wrestle sure. with, and sit with. And so saying, well, oh, that's say- nothing. Blah blah blah. That's the way we push off other people's problems and make ourselves feel better about our problems. But that's. It's, but I'm not. Do- I'm not solely doing that. I'm saying this is an a, an added ingredient. So sure, you need to walk William through. Hey, this here's what patience looks like. You're impatient right now. Think of other things or, you know, do other things and that sort of thing. But at some point, they also need to realize, yeah, hey, some point, you've got a really good shortcut remedy is what I'm saying. And, it, and, it, and sure. if you take that approach to stuff, you will wind up diminishing the current real, yeah. although possibly minor suffering or reality of some situation sure. that is currently existing. And Christians are super bad about that. Oh, I'll pray for it. Don't worry. God's in control. All this stuff. All that stuff is like, but there's a bigger reality. So don't actually deal with this. That's the, all yeah. those, and that's uh, all those things are so, in that category. Joey, I'm not saying you, it's wrong to tell your kid there are starving kids. Do you have different but. levels of like when something bad happens? Where you go to? Like if you go through the drive-through and they don't add pickles to your burger, do you think about well, just old people dying? Yeah, like just, like you, you know, bad. like you know, something real bad is children to death. Yeah, something not some that bad kill, old people dying. Yeah, yeah. That's a little yeah, bad. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like if he didn't get as much on his tax returns as he thought he would, just a prisoner dying in jail. Yeah, yeah, they deserved it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah they kind of deserved. <laughs> It, so yeah, I, I got mail on my you, sandwich. So it's not, <laughs> I will tell you uh, a, a very uh, a, you know Matt would say what I just said. Let me is say the opposite stupid. of that too before you move on. If you're moving on, and that would be another way to deal with it is <laughs> your basement and your house is flooding. I don't know if you have a basement, and it's going to cost you. Tw- Twenty five hundred or three thousand dollars. So you can either think of, well, what if one of my children died? One way to handle it, or you can think of, <laughs> wow, 
I have a bunch of children. My wedding day was wonderful. My podcast right. is doing well. You can think of positive. <laughs> you can think of good things. So, yeah, all right. that's probably a one way to handle it is to think about a lot of good things. So it's not so bad that I have to pay $2,500. Or you can think about one of your child's deaths, whichever helps you. <laughs> Either way, don't deal with reality. <laughs> but anyway. Did you tell Priscilla, hey, listen, Lisa, Waylon's face isn't purple and he's dying? <laughs> Did you tell her that? Hey, babe, no, I, look, I, calm I down, calm that. down. Waylon isn't I, dying of suffocation right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're right, Joey. Yay! I, I wasn't I wasn't that descriptive, but actually I I, I, I agree and I and I, I disagree that there's no value in it. There is oh, yes, value yeah, in being like this isn't this isn't this isn't a bad day like it is for people to lose right. their mind. I'm not for devaluing the notion like, of perspective, but that's a little bit of a cheat or shortcut. It's sure, a, sure. Engaging in fantasy I, a, a bit. I'll tell you something else that's kind of that I think is weird, but I just can't help it. Like when stuff when major stuff happens and and I'm talking like uh, my friend whose husband died in a car accident, for instance, it's almost like it's easier <laughs> for me to be like, okay, God's got a plan. He obviously had you know, the plan to, to take them home soon and man, okay, we got to look deeper and pray and keep perspective. But when stupid, <laughs> meaningless, shitty Joey, things happen during the day, when those things happen, I'm like, God, you couldn't have just avoided that. Like you couldn't have just reminded us to make sure the hose was fastened. Like you couldn't avoid that. Like the little things are like having a really bad day and then bumping the hell out of your head, Matt. And you're just like, God, you couldn't have I just protected me from that like sometimes the little things i'm like god come on these are easy things man just help but i know that's stupid as well but i mean like are you <laughs> i'm sitting here laughing you're killing now, us right now now <laughs> you are killing us like a, like it, it seems like you could just say hey matt i'm i'm sorry your mom passed away but imagine if you had a roof leak <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, at least your, at least your washing machine didn't flood mad at your house. Oh, yay! <laughs> like, do you tell people that they come to you? <laughs> hey, listen, I know you, I know your uh, family member just passed away, but have you, th- you know how many people have roof leaks and ceiling leaks a year? Count your blessings, my friend. <laughs> Do you go the opposite way when it, like when it's really, what, what do you, that's my point. Where do you go when it is Waylon suffocated to death? Yeah, I know. Like, where do you go well, then? Well, the Holocaust, I well, guess. Well, at least so. aliens didn't show up. Imagine other planets where aliens take over. <laughs> no, there's nothing. There's nothing. That's there's what nothing. In fact, I, in fact, I, I, so it, a it doesn't work. Their- it, or, I mean, it has a limit. It, like, it's, I don't know. What are you going to say? All I, I, I'm just saying it. Well, I was going to say that I, I texted a couple recently who lost their child, and I said, "Look, I just I was thinking about you, and I realized the dark nightmare that you're going through, and just wanted y'all to know that I, you know people are aware of of the pain and agony, and there's and there's no bright side of things other than I'm praying that God gives you peace through this. Yeah. Like there isn't, but at least such and such. No, it's like no, the worst thing possible yeah. happened yeah, to us. There's no that's but right. at least. Right. So all I all I'm saying is I I really do agree with what y'all are saying. I don't agree in discarding perspective altogether. I do <laughs> Which think is there certainly is certainly not some my point of view. So you don't have to disagree yeah. with it, and no and nobody yeah. holds that point of view. Thus, you, you needn't to disagree with it. But <laughs> I will say I'm just saying. For instance, when my mom died, the Nothing was more helpful than the lack of the the acknowledgement that there was nothing anybody could do to help, and I, just the presence of it. There are no right. words that actually wound up being right. as as helpful as anything there was, and I'm. It actually was helpful. 
It yeah. just it, it just was. I mean, yeah. it was just like the pure acknowledgement of it is maybe the only thing that even can help because there isn't right. some way of looking at it. That's like a cheat. It's like a strategy. It's like that doesn't even make sense. It just this is it, and the work I have to do now is simply grasping the reality. Is the that's the yeah. work in front of me. So acknowledging it is the how you start. And that, yeah. I, you could take that down to a micro level with your house. Like you've got to come to terms with it before you can move on with it. So yeah, trying right. to escape right. it is escapism. Yeah. 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 Word up. All right. Word be, up. So everybody be present as much as you can. You only live a while. Be present as much as you can. Don't try to overmanage and regulate yourself. If you can help it, it's always better. Well, ten four. So I did a uh, interview with Scotty from Norma Jean. He's got a new band, and we are going to play that interview here in a minute. We're going to pay some bills first, but this is a pretty cool interview. I was surprised. I actually really was surprised at a couple things he said, like especially how like Josh Goggins left the band. So I was like, "What?" I'll let, I'll just let the interview play for itself. But it was actually pretty interesting how they handled that, like because you know they went through a big big lead singer change and names. You know, they changed had to change their name and all that stuff too. So. Uh, it's pretty. It's pretty interesting too. So we were working on. We're working on the Tooth and Nail podcast, and and this is this is just the truth. I'll say it the way it is. Everybody's been super involved. We've gotten a ton of amazing interviews and people we never thought we could get to talk to that have worked out really good for this. But the Norma Jean crowd, we couldn't get enough people that were willing to talk and do podcasting. But Scotty yeah. was willing to talk, so we're not really doing anything on Tooth and Nail for them. But we have this really good conversation that Toby had with Scotty, so we thought this would be a great place. To put it basically, yeah. So I don't know why that is, but it's it's interesting that some people really like being on podcasts and some people don't, and it depends on what it is and what you want to talk about and everything too. But we thought this would be a good one to share. We're also on the road right now, so it gives us just a little bit of a break to uh, air something else that we've been sitting on. Because that's a lot of times we just collect yeah. footage or interviews or tape for different things that we've never aired, and this yeah. is a good opportunity and, and to do it. Hold on, one more thing on that Norma Jean thing too, though. And those guys are great. We've toured with them. We yeah. like them. They'd be good at it. so. And Corey's been. On here before, and they're stuff, in but. maybe a little intimidated to tell the story or something, but it was really good catching up with Scotty and hearing hearing a lot about Norma Jean. So, uh, well, well, here, here's one thing too, real quick. Like, I don't think our listeners think think this necessarily, but I do want to point out that I think when it comes to like the beginning of our episodes and the end, if if you take one of us away, the quality potentially hit takes a hit because there's so much chemistry between all of three of our personalities i think with our interviews when there's less of us the quality goes up like i really i'm looking I forward to this agree. interview because well, i think it'll be better this, than, you might disagree we'll after listening to this one. <laughs> <laughs> all, right. all right let's take a break real quick and then we'll be right back with toby talking to scotty from yep. norma jean so i have had to wear glasses uh since i was very young and i don't know why but my mom always bought the ugliest glasses i had to wear those gold wire rimmed i just looked so dumb and so as soon as i could like uh, i guess it was maybe middle school right in high school i was able to get contacts and i've been wearing those ever since if you've ever seen me with glasses on you'll immediately see the coke bottles and i always feel a little bit weird about always wearing coke bottles even though i've been doing it on this tour a little bit but uh i love getting to wear contacts i have my contacts in right now and that's why I'm really happy to get to work with Hubble. They make it easy and here's why. I have always worn my contacts too long. I would sleep in them. I've, I've gotten eye infections and scratched like a, a little bit of my retina and stuff just from wearing contacts way too long. I'm just like, ah, I just don't want to take it out. I'll just fall, and I'll fall asleep with them in. Hubble makes it so easy because you get a fresh pair, new pair of contacts every day. So are you tired of overpaying for uncomfortable contact lenses? I know I was. 
I, I mean, I, they're expensive. It's crazy. And do you overwear your contact lenses like me? That is what I'm trying to ask you guys today. Today, don't do that anymore. What if I told you you can get a fresh pair of lenses every single day for at l- for less? Sixty contacts for thirty dollars. Do the math. It's $1 a day, folks. This is half the price of other brands. Go to HubbleContacts.com and get your first two weeks free. That's right. Free contacts. Quality daily lenses for half the price of the other guys. Contacts are expensive because four companies, I thought this is so crazy, four companies control 97% of the market. Until now, folks, Hubble sells directly to you so they can offer contacts for half the price. No more overpaying or overwearing, and they've been featured all over the place. GQ, all this. I mean, this this is a popular company. They're cool. Very, very cool. They're easy on the eyes and the wallet. Go to HubbleContacts.com to get your first two weeks of lenses for free. That's 15 pairs of lenses for free. You really can't beat this deal. Hubble is offering our listeners two weeks of free contacts. That's H-U-B-B-L-E, contacts.com. Okay, so you guys are a bunch of losers. That's Toby and Joey, but also you listeners, you guys are losers. Here's what I mean. Newsweek reports that the average American wastes 55 minutes a day looking for things that they own but can't find. So you lose stuff every day. I lose stuff a lot. Uh, you're always doing that thing, you know, where you pat your uh, back pockets to make sure wallet, keys, phone, wallet, keys, phone. Those are the most common things, or at least they are for me. And Tracker makes losing things a thing of the past. And I'll tell you how to get one for free in a minute. Tracker is a coin-sized device that locates misplaced keys, wallets, bags, computers, really anything in seconds. You just pair it to your smartphone and attach it to anything. And it'll find its precise location with a tap of a button. It's that easy. So let's say... For instance, if you lost your phone, if you lost your phone, you can press a button on your tracker. So let's say you put your tracker like I do on my key ring. I push the button on my key ring and it causes my phone to ring even if my phone is on silent. Or vice versa, if I can't find my keys, I can pick up my smartphone and say, where is the damn thing? Where are my keys? And it will tell me where my keys are. So it works both ways there. And of course, you can put on your computer bag, your photography stuff, uh, anything. You put in your guitar case, I suppose, would be a good way to do it. You could slap it on a remote control if that's your biggest problem. But Tracker is finding over a million misplaced items every day. And you can order yours now and never lose anything again. Listeners to this show get a free Tracker Bravo with any order. That's thetracker.com, T-H-E, tracker.com, and enter the promo code BADCHRISTIAN. The hardest thing you'll ever have to do is find that website. And it's quite easy. You go to thetracker.com thetracker.com right now and enter the promo code BADCHRISTIAN for your free Tracker Bravo with any order. Again, that's thetracker.com, promo code BADCHRISTIAN. All right, here's Scotty. So you're back now, and, and we can talk about that more later, but is this uh, with any of the guys from Norma Jean, or is this just your your new thing with all new dudes? Yeah, it's, it's actually um, Keller, who was the first guitar player in the Chariot with Josh, and uh-huh. then um, I've known him forever. And then um, Brandon, who was actually the last guitar player of the Chariot when they fin- was stopped playing, um, are both in this band. And then uh, Heath and J-Body or Justin are were in a band with Keller before called uh, the Glass Ocean. Yeah, that um, did a couple tours, I think. But um, so yeah, we all live in Atlanta or you know Douglasville, and they I think they actually started jamming last. January or February, a little over a year ago, and uh, 
I heard a little clip and I hadn't played music. I hadn't even picked up a guitar really in since like 2011. Like it had been a while. I just wow. stepped away from from playing really. And um, I don't know. It was. I think it was just a time where I was like winding up uh, about to graduate college and just really had started thinking about playing music again. I actually had been talking um, with one of my good buddies, uh, Josh Weaver. He's in that band um, Royal Thunder. And we had just been talking and hanging out a lot around last early last year, and he was really encouraging me to play again. So I actually uh, hit up Heath. Um, he used to, he's been one of my good friends for a long time and uh, just kind of s- feeling out what they were up to as a band and it just kind of worked out. Like I came out the next week, uh, jammed with them one night and just kind of went from there. It was just kind of a good excuse to hang out again and just kind of play music, have fun. Yeah. Or you, were you bad at it? <laughs> Since you oh, played man, it so I, long? I feel like I'm still rusty. Like I, I, I'm not back to where I was as a player, which we, you know, we practice like once a week with this band. We just started playing shows, uh, late last year so it's it's a lot different of a vibe you know we're just taking it slow and um just really concentrating on the music writing yeah. as opposed to like touring right away so is it is it heavy what's the sound like uh it's actually a little more i'd I'd say rock or southern rock or something i guess i always even in norma jean just said we were rock and roll but it's you know i think heaviness comes out all of our backgrounds are in heavy music heavier music yeah so i think that comes through in more song in some songs more than others, but overall I'd say it's um if you're looking to hear Norma Jean or The Chariot, um you might hear elements of that, but it's not really the same vibe at all. We're not really going for that. Yeah. Um what about like even like stage presence? Are y'all like all over the place slinging guitars and stuff like that? Or? <laughs> no, it's I mean maybe some more than others. I don't know. I um I I'd kind of, I think the first show back, it was just, the whole thing was surreal. The first, my first show playing again after quitting Norma Jean was just the whole, I mean, I was like texting Corey and all the dudes like, Hey, just got done loading in, you know, like just even that was exciting where back in right. the day, you know, after touring for almost 15 years, loading was definitely not the fun thing to do. And the, our first loading was actually up two stories upstairs so um <laughs> it was a good one to break in on but, yeah really um, yeah <laughs> started a little crazier the first song and then realized that age is caught up with me right. and just kind of did you know yeah i know that that's the same way i feel these days like we kind of have uh with emory we've kind of tweaked our sound a little, little basically we're trying to go back to what we were when we were when we originally started so it was more about the music and and it you know, we always were about the performance and we want to put on a good show but we felt you know we felt I think when we were younger we we felt like if we weren't rocking out nobody would rock out and now we're I think we probably have a little bit more confidence in our music and ourselves with that age like I'm 41 now so you're right part of it is I can't actually move around that much or I'll die or you know right. I, I don't I don't want to actually die or, or throw death throw a hip on mid song <laughs> I guess death was always a factor but now it's not from moving or you know going crazy or anything like that now it's just might actually <laughs> yeah. fall off. 
<laughs> yeah, there's just a chance now that anything you just might just die. It didn't even have to yeah. be anything, right? Like nothing crazy at all. Yeah, but not I, even on stage, just everyday <laughs> life. Like yeah. I'm, I'm bound to go any moment. It's there's just no telling. I know that's what that's what I always say now. Like uh, used to be, like I say, yep, yeah, time to get up and roll out of bed. But now I physically have to roll out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> that really is true. So uh, I, I, I like that. So it, so you're calling it Southern Rock um, it, with with a, tw- a twinge of heaviness, but I, I like that too. That's kind of where we're at too. It's hard not to add some of that energy, right? Like that's the way I feel too. Even with Emory and some of the new songs we're writing, it's, there's got to be some heaviness and some rock, like harder rock there, or right. it doesn't doesn't feel as good. Is that kind of what y'all are trying to go for too? Yeah, I think so, and I think it it just it almost has come, it came out naturally. Like, I think it, it's not even something we were trying for necessarily. And, um, especially, uh, there's one song on the, you know, on our, we, we just have a, an EP come out, um, called feral children that there's six songs. And I think probably one song out of the six is like full on could be like on a Norma Jean or a cherry record or something like that. And then the other five have like parts here and there that, or reminiscent of that. Yeah. So um, you said y'all just got started touring or are y'all touring now or are just playing shows? Are y'all planning yeah, on touring? we're playing shows. We're, um, I think our first show was back in um, November, I think of last year we played uh, and we've just played a handful of shows since then. So we've got a couple coming up with, um, we've got two coming up actually with every time I die. Nice. Uh, the beginning of May. So that'll be, a, that'll be a blast. And then we've got a, um, I think we have one other show too um, booked as of now, but that's it really. Yeah. So uh, with being in Norma Jean, I, I wanted to ask you some questions about that too. Are you, uh, so were you a, a, an original member of Norma Jean? Yeah, I was. Um, I was, uh, me and Daniel, um, who was our drummer, we were in a band with a couple other guys out in uh, Douglasville, which is kind of where we're all from. Yeah. And we started. Studio we were seven, right? That, that was, yeah, uh, what was that? That was a uh, seven venue. S- yeah. Seven, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So we were all out in high school. I think Daniel might have actually been in middle school when we started. But <laughs> um, yeah, we started uh, jamming, and then we started uh, hearing about, and you know, we were friends with Josh and some of those dudes that were in, you know, it was ludicrous at the time. Yeah. And um, so we played a couple shows just like in basements together. You know, you just kind of play house party kind of thing or you know nobody's even there but or we played like a trailer park like uh they had their little i don't even know what you call it the little trailer with the clubhouse or something really an actual trailer park yeah actually played most of our shows there which is kind of random but it's like the most uh perfect uh like southern rock beginning (laughs) that you could have Yeah, and uh, Durr was just kind of, you know, one of our good friends hanging out. We kind of wouldn't even practice unless he was sitting there, but he wasn't playing. He didn't even have, like, a guitar yet at the time. But then um, Josh asked me to start playing with them because it was just him singing and playing guitar at the time. So I started jamming with them, and it kind of broke up uh, mine and Daniel's other band. And he was always going out to Texas to visit his dad over summer. So when he came back, he actually joined as well. So it just kind of started from there. That was back in the late '90s, and then, um, yeah, I went till that December of 2010 is when I was my last show, my last tour. Wow! So you were in the band over a decade. Now, now, when you guys started, were you uh, was it like were y'all Christian guys trying to be like a, a Christian missional band sharing the gospel? Was that the goal? No, no, actually, we weren't. Um, none of us were. Um, we were just playing, and um, I feel like. Uh, 
who was it? Somebody liked, uh, I think like Daniel's sister at the time liked, uh, some guy that was in a punk band and he actually went to church and like, they just kind of invited us all. We were all friends and just kind of started hanging out with them. And actually, uh, that's kind of how we got into it, but we definitely, we didn't start, you know, as a Christian band. So even before Norma Jean Ludacris wasn't really a Christian band, you think, or it became that? No, it became that. Yeah. Um, now early that- on, but right. maybe a year or two after. Was that a big change for the like as a as a band structure? Was that just did, did that translate into like y'all used to be crazier and didn't care about God, and then you became like straight laced, or did it just change with lyrics? Like did, uh, did it change your lifestyle? And I think our personal lives and our um, music changed almost overnight. I think me and Daniel actually went the first time just to some like youth group thing, and there was like a punk band that was playing there, and everybody was hanging out. And it was just a lot of fun. And then we went back and told the rest of the dudes and they came the next week. And then we just kind of never looked back. Um, so it was a huge change for all of us. Um, yeah. In every way, really not just music musically. Yeah. And then y'all, so y'all started playing shows and doing pretty good. And then how'd you get on tooth and nail? Yeah, we, um, well, we just started playing shows and then trying to play, you know, any venue we could here in Atlanta. And then, um, met, Barb, I don't know if you probably know her concert mom from here. I don't know if you remember her from back in the day. She used to always book shows. Um, but it's a good friend of our Jesse McBride's mom. Um, so she really started, she liked us and started putting us on other shows. She was booking, you know, like if living sacrifice came into town or if, um, Zayo or, you know, bands that were embodiment i remember you know we played a lot of early on we played opened up some shows for like bands like that training for utopia and then got to be friends with those guys you know after we played with them and then um it just kind of snowballed from there i think uh mark from embodiments actually one of the main dudes that uh got in touch with brandon to tell him you know to look into us about signing us to to solid state that's cool so y'all was this like when y'all signed with Solid State, was that when after Chad Johnson had moved there? Did y'all ever talk with him before? Like, yeah, we played. We, you know, him being in Birmingham at the time doing Slacker '66 and Takehold Records, we played all the time. You know, the Takehold Fests and right. played at Slacker because that was. I mean, we used to think Douglasville's west of Atlanta, so it really was only about an hour and a half drive to Birmingham. Oh, I see. Okay. At the time for us, we like probably took three driving shifts to get there. Like, it just seemed like the biggest deal to us to play in another state. So yeah. that was cool. So yeah, we knew him before he left to go to, um, to the nails. So then, uh, y'all are ludicrous and y- y'all, y'all put out albums as ludicrous. There was, we did an EP, which later turned into like, I think it got combined into being a split on, um, dang, I can't even remember the record label that put it out. Um, the name of it, but, uh, it was that. It was just a, a split EP, and then after that, um, we put out one full length under Ludacris on uh, Solid State. Oh, okay. And then uh, did y'all? So y'all were called Ludacris, did, and so did you change the name because of the rapper Ludacris? Well, I mean, we kind of used it as an excuse. It was we never liked the name. I, the name Josh had had the name since before he even like had a guitar. He just remembered always kind of air guitar and saying he was in a band called Ludacris and (laughs) this kind of stuck once he actually started playing guitar and then we had a band so once the you know but once it kind of stuck it was like this you know the ball kind of started rolling and then it was like 
we finally, once we started hearing about kids wearing like our ludicrous shirts to school and like people asking about it being a rapper and started hearing about him, especially him being from Atlanta where we're from, um, just kept going back to solid state asking like, can we please change our name? And it was like a pretty big ordeal for a while, which I understand they had put, you know, money into marketing and stuff like that. Even down to, I remember them like saying the tabs when, you know, you'd buy CDs like in a Best Buy or anywhere where it like the stickers, the names on all the, so they said we could change it after a while, but as long as we kept Ludacris in the name. So it was like, what are we going to do with that? <laughs> so I, I we were on tour with Living Sacrifice and um, Bruce, their singer, which is just like, why don't you just be the Ludacris? And he just wrote the over our logo at the time. And then like we actually just put that on a shirt. And we were that for a couple months. And then we were like, this is ridiculous. He started, you know, the rapper right. was huge. And we were just like, all right, it's time. We're changing it. So we finally just went for it. Did y'all ever get confused, like e- emails and stuff like that, thinking somebody somebody thought they were writing the rapper or, or anything like that? I, actually, I can't remember really. I mean that that I wouldn't doubt it, but I, I can't remember <laughs> anything like that. But it was it got to be pretty bad. I mean, we changed it early enough on, I guess, but he was already, you know, pretty big once we finally changed it. Yeah, yeah. So y'all went and did that first, uh, I guess, with the name Norma Jean record, and uh, you were you were talking about Josh Scoggin, the lead singer. Uh, what, what are y'all, y'all been friends since super long time. Are y'all still friends? What was it like? Like, it sounds like he, you know, he, he had that name and he's, even when he's playing air guitar, he wanted to, you know, be, be famous and stuff like that. How, how, how was that from the beginning? Like having him as the singer at the start? Yeah, it was cool. Um, I just remember hearing about him and, um, our, and the bass player at the time went to the different, you know, I think there's like three high schools at the time in Douglasville and they went to the other one and me and Daniel and a couple of the other dudes went to the other kind of rival. I don't know if it was rival, but you know, the other high school. So I started hearing, you know, his name around, you know, just from playing and stuff like that. And then we met up and all of us, you know, just started hanging out all the time after that. So it really just, um, evolved from that. That's cool. Uh, um, so you put out this album and then how long, and, and so you started getting success, I guess, with, obviously, and y'all started playing bigger and bigger shows, right? I mean, it really kind of started snowballing for you, didn't it? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, Bless the Martyr was the yeah. first Norma Jean record. And um, yeah, we started playing, you know, we, right after everybody graduated, except Daniel, he was, um, he got permission to homeschool. So we hit the road like the day after graduation i think it was in like 98 yeah could have been 99 um and just started we would you know this was like pre-internet really i mean there was internet but it you know it was like an aol disc or something like dial so we didn't even have cell phones so it was basically like daniel just trying to find numbers of promoters and like trying to book shows so we would go like we bought a van for like I think it was like 600 bucks or 800 bucks, like a conversion van. And I mean, it broke down every time we turned it off or like at a, even all the time, but we'd have a show about every four days, but we just left and we were out for probably three or four or five months, just straight, just trying to play shows, just staying in the van, like in Walmart parking lots or yeah. like trying to squat in house, empty houses or staying with ask kids at shows, like if we could stay, you know, and like, Sometimes that would work out, but it was, you know, it was a lot different back then, but it was a blast. It was a lot different than it is now for sure. 
Yeah, so that y'all did that, and then it just started playing shows and, and started to make money, and, and it started really becoming a real career, right? Like people, yeah. and probably yeah. at first, did your family think, what are you doing? Did they think, why, why are you sleeping in a van in a Walmart parking lot? Yeah, it was kind of a weird thing, I think. Um, I was a year older than most of the other dudes, so I had actually um, left and went to UGA for a year, and I just wasn't happy at all. I wanted to come back and just do the band, so I actually quit. And Why did you quit? Uh, I just, I, I wanted to do, I wanted to pursue the band, which was at the time was weird, is weird to look back on that now. Like, no, I mean, why did you quit Norma, Norma Jean? You said, you said you quit. Oh, no, I didn't quit the band. I quit college. Oh, to I see. see. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we just kind of hit the road right then. So, um, yeah, I think looking back, it was probably like a pretty big shock for, I guess, cause at the time we weren't playing anywhere really, you know, right. didn't have anything set up, but, um, yeah, we just went out and just kept playing. To so, whoever would, you know, we used to think if we had 30 kids at a show, it was like the best show. Yeah. But what oh, happened that, once you got to like big shows? Like, I mean, you used to, that, that, it seems like it happened fairly quickly after Bless the Martyr came out, right? Like, y'all. Yeah. I'd say by the time Bless the Martyr came out, which was probably, I think that was 01 or 02, um, we were doing pretty good. You know, a couple hundred kids at shows after yeah. that, depending on who we were playing with. Wow, but but then how quickly did it get big? Like, I mean, y'all started playing thousand cap rooms, right? I mean, y'all were. Yeah, probably like, after. Well, it's. I'd say that probably might have started happening after our next record, after. Um, oh God, the aftermath. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so we um we were doing shows, and then we um actually were playing um, Sloss Furnace Fest right uh, one year, and right before we went on stage, Josh. And our bass player at the time, Doolittle, both said they were this. That was going to be their last show. Like we found out right before we were going on stage. Oh God! So, so you had to be. Like, were you like super pissed? Did you see it coming? I, it was like a big mix of emotions, dude. It was like you know we had four days after that we were set up to do our first like nationwide tour with Every Time I Die, and I think I can't remember if it was Bleeding Through or Eighteen Visions. Um, it was like a nationwide tour. It was like a two month tour that was happening like four days after that. So it ended up being, I guess, for that happening. At least it was we were at a at Sloss Fest where like every band, like in our, you know, in that scene was there. So we had a lot of people saying they'd help you know fill in and stuff like that. So that kind of made things weird for you know it was that was kind of a took the breath out of us a little yeah. bit but we, you know we weren't we weren't gonna stop so, so was it why did like josh and the and the other guy quit what what was there was there like turmoil were you guys fighting no, they it wasn't like turmoil it? it came as a huge surprise i to this day i actually don't even really know um he just said that he felt led in a different direction and that was kind of it and then we never even really talked about it after it was you like never it, talked about it yeah, I don't know. That like, sounds so yeah. crazy, though. I mean, how could you not talk about it? I mean, it's your whole, like, at this point, you're making, I mean, this is your career. You probably, like, were paying your rent and bought a car and all kinds of stuff, right? Yeah, we didn't have any other jobs or anything, but, I mean, we were still, you know, slumming it pretty hard, I guess you could yeah. say. We were on ramen noodles and <laughs> stuff like that, you know, diet for a long time there. But, um, yeah, it was, I guess we did that tour, and then we just kept touring and didn't just never talk to him about it again you know we didn't talk for a while so that that so when he said that so up until that point y'all were fine you didn't you didn't know you so you totally didn't see your lead singer and was it the bass player yeah the bass player so the lead singer and the bass player you didn't see them leaving at all you just thought it's just another normal show 
Right. Yeah. We were like, here, here's Sloss Fest and like, this is going to be, or Furnace Fest. That's what it was called. And then, yeah. you know, this yeah. is going to be awesome. And then we were stoked. Like we're about to tour with every time I die, like month long tour, like this is great. And then it was just like a punch in the gut, really. Like literally like five minutes before we went on stage, we found out. So yeah, it was, yeah. yeah look, thinking back on it, you know, it's, it's pretty crazy to think about, you know, that we even, we're able to pull it off, I guess. And, you know, losing a singer, especially Josh, like, you know, we were, his, you know, voice was yeah, pretty yeah. recognizable. And usually, you know, the singer is kind of the most identifiable person, I guess, in a band, you know? Yeah. So it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. So at that point when he quit the band, uh, did you think, man, fuck that guy. I'll never talk to him again. Like, <laughs> were you that, were you mad? Was everybody mad? Like what, what? On stage, I remember just like almost like in tears, but then I also remember just like, yeah, like playing harder, almost drumming harder, being, you know, pretty upset, like not under, it didn't seem real, I guess. And then it was just kind of, you just got to keep going, you know? So then it was, we figured out, you know, we had a couple people um, fill in. After when y'all got off stage that night, did y'all y'all didn't even talk then? Did y'all did he? I mean, did, did you ride in the did he ride in the van home or anything? I don't think so. I feel like they might have just left and just contacted Douglasville <laughs> like right after. I really don't wow. remember having a ride home. Like, yeah, crazy. <laughs> that is really crazy. We we were interviewing uh, under oath and talking about Dallas and right when he left and they they actually you know they had to, they rode home. All the way from uh, like I think it was like Houston or something. They played a show or a festival. And they wrote you know with him in the car, and they were all you know kind of splitting up. So that's interesting. He just he said, "Hey guys, so so you're you're getting ready to play a show, and your lead singer and the bass player go, hey guys, man, this has been awesome. We won't be playing anymore.' And then you walk off stage, yeah, and, and then probably didn't talk to him again for years. It was a while. It wasn't years because I mean. I think the next time we actually talked was like when we heard he was starting the chariot and it was like, wait a second. Like, why did you feel led away from us right. just to start another band? And then it started feeling weird that, at that point. But for sure, I mean, after that, we actually like toured all the time played. Like, I mean, we talked, you know, you know, still great friends today. Wow, it was man. just uh, one of those things. I think we just, I don't know if it was me during Daniel got together and decided to just not talk about it or what i it's, it's weird it's weird thinking about that though yeah yeah um well i it was we we had a funny time a funny thing that happened with us when we got rid of our bass player we uh had been so we were going out on warp tour and we had been talking Devin, our singer was getting one of our other singers we had two singers and one of, and he was getting married so he wasn't going to go on a warp tour with us um because he was just getting married and going on his honeymoon and all that stuff and so uh we had been con writing each other through email because we had decided to uh fire our bass player joel because it was just getting really a great friend but not as good to be in a business or a band with you know you know how that is and so um and so it ended up happening with us where uh matt we'd been emailing each other back and forth and we said hey let's just maybe try and give it through warp tour and then we'll all make the decision devin once you're done with you know you're you know getting married and all that stuff but matt our uh guitar player left uh his computer open and Joel found the email <laughs> on, oh. while we were on the bus on Warp Tour. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So it's not as crazy. It, it, like when you tell your story about you not talking about it, Joel. So we didn't know anything. Matt and I are walking around. We get we get an email. And back then, I think we had sidekicks. You remember those sidekicks, sidekick twos? Yeah, yeah. Every band dude had those. Uh, we get an email, and I was like, "This is an email from Joel." Weird. Joel says, "Hey, I know that you guys are trying to fire me." Uh, like that's fucked up or whatever, and uh, we'll need to talk about it. And then we never mentioned it for four to six more weeks of warp tour. <laughs> 
never talked about it. And then at the very end, like the last day, we we're like, hey, man, yeah, I think we got to go our separate ways. And he was like, all right, well, you know. So I understand. Sometimes it's, sometimes you need that little bit of space. And, and I think one thing people don't understand either. It really is like you're only on stage with somebody for what an hour. You know what I mean? Like you're in the van. Like you said, when you sleep with a, a so, and, and when somebody just says it that with that much finality, you, maybe maybe you can just kind of walk away away from it or whatever. But so when after Josh left, y'all had some fill in people, and I can remember I can remember seeing you guys as ludicrous back at um, y'all played the Tooth and Nail fest i think it was in charlotte and zayo was right. supposed to play and they dropped off and then hope's fall yeah. ended up playing and i just that's the first time i'd ever seen y'all i was like whoa this is really pretty awesome and i liked it but i have to admit um after josh left we saw y'all on a tour with uh me without you and beloved right. and yeah. in, in seattle at this uh, i forget the name of the place now i think it closed down it might still be open but uh and y'all had this other singer he's kind of a skinny guy uh, yeah brad brad yeah. And I thought he was so awesome. Like I loved him. And then later, I think some other. I think we we toured with Norma Jean over in Australia and, and, and some stuff. And they said, yeah, his voice wasn't holding up or something like that. But how was it? How'd y'all get Brad? Was he the the first guy to take the reins after Josh? Yeah, he was. He was just at um, you know, he was in an, another band. He was from Birmingham, and um, we had played a show or two with his other band, and he just was there at uh, Furnace Fest and came up and said, you know, he could fill in. So. You know, we were just, we had no idea what we were going to do. So we were like, all right, that's awesome. Hell yeah. So yeah. we grabbed him. And um, I believe our first bass player that filled in was Billy that used to play in Under Oath too, way back in the day. Wow. wow. Um, so yeah, those guys just came out on the road and it was a pretty crazy time. I mean, it was, we had a lot of van trouble. I remember, you know, just, you know, having new members out of nowhere. And yeah, yeah. I think um, Brad ended up getting hit with a guitar or bass or something getting staples in his head. And then another time he, I don't know, there was, there was a, he filled in for about a year and a half, two years, I think, which yeah, is a pretty yeah. long time actually. Yeah, but, yeah. um, yeah, there was a couple different times in that time span where he was either sick or had gotten, you know, almost killed on stage. And so we would just set up and do like play instrumental or like turn the mic towards the crowd and just hope that, you know, there'd be enough energy for that. So it was, it was just kind of a cool experience to be able to like have to rely on just playing instrumental sets, you know, and yeah, rely yeah. on the kids to sing along or we would get people up to sing a different song and then um, kind of have the crowd vote if they should stay into another one or, you know, yeah, throw them yeah. back in the crowd and get someone else. So yeah, it was a pretty crazy time before uh, we then um, ended up, getting in touch with Corey who at the time was in Esso Karis or had been yeah, in Esso Karis. Yeah. So but with, um, with Brad, so like y'all, I can't believe like y'all are having really good success. Like, I mean, two albums that people think are maybe even classic ones, especially on, you know, solid state tooth and nail. And it's, right. But y'all can't, can't trust a lead singer to help you at all. <laughs> like <laughs> in spite of like the lead singer, which in a lot of people's minds, is the most important piece y'all just kept right on chugging along. A guy, you can't, he says, I can't do it tonight. Y'all just turn the mic and just keep rocking out. Like nothing, yeah, yeah, like nothing awesome. stopped you. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, sometimes his voice would just go out. I think he never had his voice turned up in the monitors. He just never liked it in the monitor. So we didn't, we couldn't hear him. We didn't know what it sounded like even. And then, you know, he would always, his voice would always go out because of that, I guess. So, you know, there was, a lot of times where it was pretty much just instrumental whether he was on stage or not but so did y'all have to like fire him at that point because i mean it wasn't it was kind of not really fire him but he had had a kid that um 
that was getting older and about to start school and, and his wife and kid were always out with us too. Um, so it was all of us, you know, and it was just, you know, he was going to have to start being separated from them to stay on. And so it was kind of a mutual thing, even though I think we were the ones that kind of brought it up. I think it was, we hadn't, we never recorded a record with him. Actually, one of the weirder things was because Josh, you know, quit kind of soon after bless the martyr came out and we actually had to shoot a video with Brad, which, you know, shooting a video, you're lip syncing, which is already awkward. Right. And we had Brad in the video lip syncing to Josh's voice, which is just even a new level of awkward. So it was just a really (laughs) weird time. (laughs) That's really crazy. So let me, I want to go back to one thing. So I think I misunderstood when Josh quit the band, like y'all were, he didn't even play Slawfest or, or no, he did. Yeah, he played. Oh, that okay. was it. And there's actually they released a DVD and like we're on it, and it's like our last song with him is on there. Like it's it's pretty crazy to see. I'm glad that it's you know captured kind of thing. So you mentioned Corey from uh, Esocaris, right? He comes on, y'all get him, and then obviously he he was just solid from there. And what what year did he come in? This was he what? came in. It had to have been. Oh four, I'm guessing yeah. because um, we did kind of soon after that we did our next record with and he was on it and that was um, oh god the aftermath yeah and that came out I think that came out in oh five so he joins the band and then th- and you said that's probably like your biggest album like it'd been building up to that I so guess. yeah because we put out bless the martyr and that really had gotten a lot of steam and we just toured nonstop after that and yeah. then so it had been years since we released another record like when you know normally you like to put one out at least every year or two yeah and so was it uh as like were you happy at that point now that you'd gotten Corey, were y'all y'all friends and everything like did you think as far as lead singers goes it was solid now the career was you know kind of locking in and the band was locking in oh uh, yeah i mean we you know kind of came up loving eso caris and um so to have him in the band just felt like yeah it felt amazing so yeah we felt really really solid at that point yeah, and so um, what was the next thing I was going to ask you? It was uh, you have Corey, right? Do you think of him now, like in retrospect, like with Norma Jean? Do you think of him as the lead singer? Because the other there was only I guess Josh was in the band and started it, but he was only on like one Norma Jean record. When you think about Norma Jean, I guess he did the ludicrous stuff. But who do you right. think of it when you think about lead singer of Norma Jean? Uh, I mean, I guess now I. would Definitely think Corey. I, it's weird because, you know, just starting, you know, none of us knew, even knew how to play our instruments when we started playing. And I don't know, probably some people would say we still don't. But it's it that time in our lives, like being young and just in love with music and starting the band, like kind of has like a huge, you know, sentimental value. So I, you know, still think about Josh as being the, you know, started Norma Jean or I guess Ludacris is what you'd call it there. Yeah. But, but yeah, Corey, you know, Corey's been in it way longer at this point and yeah and is still keeping it going so yeah that, i know he, sure he's the lead singer in norma jean yeah and so uh things are going y'all do oh god the aftermath and then uh what at what point did you decide to quit norma jean like it was going good i mean y'all were making a living at least at that point um, yeah sure um what made you quit i think i just realized at a certain point and you know i think that it, we kind of ballooned up around that time in 05 06 07 right around there and then like it just um everything was going great i think i just realized like all right i'm 30 i think i had turned 31 and i was just like am i gonna still be like just flailing around on stage 10 years from now like right. 50, at what point 
am I comfortable like still doing this? I think it just yeah. kind of felt like maybe I should stop now while I'm still like kind of young and like kind of maybe start thinking about the next chapter of my life. Yeah, were, so, you, were you enjoying it? Like, or were you getting kind of burnt out on it? It, I, I noticed myself kind of saying no to more tours, like always being the one saying, ah, I don't know if we should do that one. Right, like unless right. it was something that I was like really excited about. Yeah. And I kind of felt myself holding the rest of the dudes back, which is kind of why I did it. Like there was kind of started to be a little bit of a, um, once Daniel quit, um, Chris Rains from Spitfire started playing with us and, there was kind of a divide where I could feel me and Chris kind of being the ones saying that, like, no, nah, maybe we shouldn't do this tour, or this tour, right, you know, right. started becoming more business, I guess. And that was in that sense and weighing more heavily. Do I just want to be home or do I want to go do this? So I didn't want to hold the dudes back. So I was, I felt like it was time for me to kind of stop at that point. And that was around 2010, you said? Yeah, it was December of 2010. We did a tour with uh, Lexus on Fire up in Canada, which was huge and amazing. And it was about halfway through the tour. My wife didn't even know at the time. Like I, I told Durr because you know we had been together the longest, yeah. and um, the, I think the rest of the dudes had gone out after a show or something. Me and him stayed back, and I uh, told him, and then I told the rest of the dudes when they got back that night, and that was that was going to be my last tour. So it was a pretty uh, pretty scary thing actually. But, yeah. Uh, Something I felt like I needed to do. Yeah. So you, you didn't use the Scoggins though. Uh, God, yeah, God's bad. calling me away. <laughs> I felt away. You did. So you kind of felt the same way. Like you think he's. <laughs> yeah. Now I get it. <laughs> <laughs> but at least you finished out the tour. You didn't. <laughs> right. <laughs> you could have. They could have come back from the bar hanging out, and you were gone. And yeah, left Canada. Yeah. <laughs> Headed back. So yeah. how long did you miss it at all? Like as soon as you. Like I mean, it, it it's a lot, and there's a little bit of a. Uh, you know, it lures you in the stage and the, you know, a little bit of the fame and all that stuff. Did you, did you miss it at all when you quit? I'll say this. I, the first time when they came back into town, everybody was back in town to practice. And, um, before leaving out on a tour, like I was practicing with them showing, um, Jeff who took my place, um, you know, going over songs with them and stuff. And then when the bus pulled out of like our practice space, like it felt I think I pre- I think I broke down. I think I was I think I was crying pretty good there. Like it yeah. that felt super weird. And after that though, I'd missed you know kind of just the com- the camaraderie of it all. Like right, I missed right. like getting out at like truck stops in the middle of nowhere. You know, like not even necessarily the stage. Like it was kind of stuff like that. Hanging with kids, like just being having fun. Like no real responsibilities or even you know all we had to decide was what we were going to eat for lunch. Like that was pretty nice. Right. But, right. Yeah, I always yeah, think that's one of the, times. Yeah, I always think that's one of the best parts about touring is not the stage, but when you're hanging out with your friends and you're right, like you're just in a even if it's a a, a loves or you know flying J truck stop, it's a little different, and you you're stretching your legs and and, yep. and so all all that. So, what was life like after being in a pretty successful band, man? What 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 happened for you? Um, it was kind of weird. I, I I went back to school. I just started like a community college here and I couldn't get a job anywhere. I mean, my resume was okay. I played in a band for 15 years. It wasn't like right, I didn't have right. work experience. So I couldn't find work, which was really scary. And then I had a buddy that worked at this like food delivery place here. So I just started delivering food and it was, it was a big change. It was, I liked the job a lot, just driving around, listening to music, but it was definitely 
big change, like hoping for a good tip to just to make it kind of thing versus, you know, what, what the point we'd gotten to with the band. Yeah. Yeah. Was anybody recognizing you when you would do some of that stuff? Did you get recognized around town and stuff? I don't, I like, I can't even remember. I don't think so. I hope not. I, we had these like yellow shirts with like green ring or yellow shirts. So <laughs> hopefully not. But that is a big change to go from, yeah, playing shows and you're right, touring around the world to, uh, now you're, you know, you're married and you're trying to do a nine to five for sure. So what, what happened? So did it, you, you obviously didn't stay there. What, what did you end up doing? Yeah. I just kind of did different jobs throughout the years. And then, um, just, I, I never really, and my wife even kind of would say stuff to me from time to time, like what noticing, you know, I never even pick up a guitar anymore. And I think she could kind of see that kind of me not being the same, you know, I, yeah. I think I didn't notice it, I guess, cause I just felt like I was doing what I had to do. And I felt like I was the same, but I think there was a definite change. Like I lost my identity. All I ever knew was being, you know, stage right, right in right. Armageen. But now it's like, wait, who am I? And I think it kind of was a, a weird time, but it got easier and easier, I guess. And then, um, yeah, I just stayed in college. I actually just graduated last summer. So, um, What'd you study? uh, finance, which was kind of random. I just didn't know really what I wanted to do. And I just was kind of intrigued by that. Um, so I just kind of went with it. So are you looking now to get into the, the financial world? Like, is that what you're uh, going to do? Well, I, I started working for a company last year, um, like a marketing company called MailChimp. So I just loved oh, yeah. the company. A really, really great company. So, um, actually once I graduated, there was an opening and I actually joined their, the finance department there. So it actually kind of worked out really awesome. So, so you're, you, you think you're going to stick with, with, with that? Like, is this what, like with Holy Gold, are you thinking tour around the world again and get back into music or is this more just fun Uh, and playing music? Well, we're, we're all kind of older and, you know, most of the guys have kids or some of them, I guess, not all, not most, but you know, it's just a different life force. I think if there was ever a chance to like do at least some touring, even if it was just like two weeks or something, that'd be amazing. But I think for now we're just kind of set on, hanging out on Tuesday nights and jamming and having fun and then playing, you know, shows when they come our way or, or, um, kind of that, you know, that kind of thing. We, we're kind of doing it a lot different with this band. We're doing everything ourselves. Um, we recorded the record ourselves. We, um, bought stuff to like print our own merch. We're doing kind of everything that, you know, DIY is possible. Yeah. Awesome, man. So the name of the band is Holy Gold and y'all have an EP out right now called Feral Children. Is it out right now? Yeah, it just uh, we we actually you can you can listen to it on Apple Music, Spotify, anywhere you can stream. And then we actually um, just got our vinyls in yesterday. We pressed a limited number of vinyls, and you can get those at our uh, Big Cartel. I think it's just holygold.bigcartel.com. Nice, dude. All right, sweet. Well, thank you very much, Scotty. I appreciate it, man. It's good and hearing it, some of the stories and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. Okay, Scotty from Norma Jean Toby. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. Very good. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, isn't it crazy though? Like, just I, I still am blown away that they just didn't talk to Josh when he left the band. Like, I know, it just it's crazy. I, I mean, that's just crazy. All right, let's get to the let's, best uh, part yeah. of this podcast. All right, kick the music. In a world where if you're having a bad day, Joey will uh, let you know about some catastrophe or horrific incident that's happened in the world. And make you feel so much better or possibly worse. Yeah. So, you know, people are in the, what about the tsunami? Right. That's your cure all. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Wait a minute. You, maybe you need to go back to believing in hell so you yeah. have no problems in this life. <laughs> There's a bunch of people burning hell right hey. now. What are you talking about? Hey, at least you're not in hell. <laughs> oh, you're good. Quit whining. Quit whining about it. Good <laughs> Lord. Joey, we're just messing with you. Hey. 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 Come on, man. Hey, dog. I'm fine. Hey. Hey. What you got? Um. Okay, I thought this was... Have I done the Fitbit one yet? Nope. Okay. I thought this was pretty crazy. Uh, clean this up, Brett, please. Um, this comes from Fox News. Uh, how a mom's Fitbit led police to charge her husband with murder. Police in Connecticut say they solved a the, the 2015 killing of a mother of two and charged her husband thanks to evidence collected from her Fitbit. Uh, Richard Debate, 40, was arrested earlier this month for alleged murder of 39-year-old Connie Debate at their home in Ellington, Connecticut. Police have charged him with tampering with or fabricating uh, physical evidence. Uh, so Debate claimed a masked intruder uh, broke into their home on in December, tied him up, and tortured him, then shot and killed his wife when, when she arrived. Uh, Debate said only minor injury. He only had minor injuries when they entered the scene. More than a year after Connie's death, police were able to track down a key piece of evidence: her Fitbit. According to data gathered from the device, <laughs> Connie was moving around for nearly an hour after her husband. After her husband said she was killed, according to court documents, uh, Debate claimed that the morning Connie was killed, he took his two sons to the bus stop, returned home for a work shirt, and left for work at about eight thirty a.m. He told police his wife was still coming. To get ready, was still home getting ready for a fitness class at the YMCA, and the data on her fit, Fitbit indicated she left for her class at 8:46 a.m. The arrest warrant states that Debate claimed he returned home at 9 a.m. because he forgot his laptop. At the same time, he received a text message alert: their house alarm had been activated. Uh, Debate claimed he saw a masked man about six foot two, and he kept on going. Told police they started a fight, went on, went on, went on. When the intruder pointed a gun at him, he wrestled it away. Debate claimed he crawled back up the stairs, pressed a panic button on his alarm, and called 911 at 10:11 a.m. Evidence gathered by the police from Connie's Fitbit. Bit both of their cell phones, computers, house alarms, logs show that he logged into a computer at about nine oh one and nine oh four. So basically, all of this evidence, it like uh, it's a bit <laughs> bit, shows that she was still alive. He was lying that she was, you know, he killed her later, and then he set it up and then hit the alarm, faked his own injury and being tied up and all this stuff. But it was from that bit of information, a an exercise uh, device that you use for your body so cool. showed that. And and I I mean that's what the thing about this is. There is no way anymore to hide or get away, right? That, isn't that totally gone? Like, we still got plenty of crime. Like, yeah, I know, but I mean, that's what I'm asking. Is, it, is the new crime going to, will you have to know how to like uh, uh, mess with your Fitbit? Uh, you, have to, you have to know all kinds <laughs> well, of technology and adjust that stuff? Like how do you, how, I don't, maybe you won't be able to get away with murder in the future, well, which is a good thing, but will you? So we got Minority Report is one possible right, future. Right. one way to look at it. Now, I'm going to tell you why that might... I'm going to tell you an intermediate step to that. They're doing the Amazon store in Seattle right now, and it's only open to employees, but it's downtown right by my wife's office. And it, they are going in there. They use computer vision there. So not just Fitbit right. tracking, but there's computer vision in that store. So you walk in that store. It knows who you are because of facial recognition, and it sees what you pick up. Yeah. And you just simply go in and get a cupcake and a hot dog and a Coke and a uh, some Ziploc bags and you leave. Right. You don't check in. You don't do anything. And the computer vision 
is detecting, and they don't have the bugs worked out, but is literally they just don't have the bugs worked out. That's all that's uh, left. It will be there. And then it'll yeah. be open to the public there in Seattle, and it'll have more bugs, and they'll continue right. to work them out. But those computers just see you, know who you are, and know exactly what you did as it pertains to bananas and strawberries with your – I mean, the, you know, obviously there's cameras everywhere. We have traffic light cams. Right. So pretty soon, you just the computers will be watching everything. Well, did, have you heard? And they'll who, be able to know. Were we I talking mean, about on the podcast? I, I get real life and and uh, internet podcast life mixed up. But are you talking? Y'all heard about the? Uh, it's either a drone or something that takes a picture yep. over a city, and then it takes a picture every minute. Yep. And then if a crime happens, they trace the pictures back. So they go, "Here's where the crime happened. Yeah. Oh, here's where this blue car was. Here's where it was at 10 a.m. Here's where it was that's at 9 a.m. Yeah. And it follows the car all the way back to when it left its house. And then they go get the guy. Yeah. So that's in Baltimore. I believe that they're doing that. There was a Radio Lab episode about it called "Eye in the Sky," I think. But they they started doing that. The first time they tried it was in Juarez, down where the cartel was, to catch some bad people. They have a super, yeah, camera, and they can kind of trace back in time. So yeah, you put those two things together, and it will see that it might even. Where we'd like to go after that would be, could it be? Could it catch the crime in real time? Like the computer oh, knows yeah. it and recognizes a violent act, something and, and, happened, yeah. and then alert somebody locally or something. So that'd be the thing. So I imagine that crime is going to go down in the future, but it'll be a different kind of crime. But petty crime probably will be able to clean that up pretty well, most right. likely. But that I doesn't mean, mean, I mean bad crime or who knows. I mean, people releasing viruses and killing millions of people may be on the increase, for instance. Yeah. So that, the stakes are going to be higher with technology. But petty crime and simple violence, I mean all of human history that's been diminishing overall so probably will continue to do so other than some bad spots but most likely we'll have a future where there's a lot less petty crime probably i mean as technology progresses like this imagine just how catastrophic uh, a terrorist attack would be if they shut down our electricity and in the in their theories that someone can set off a nuclear bomb and destroy the electro EMP magnet. Yeah. What's it? An e- what electromagnetic it pulse is the is part of the. It's like an electromagnetic wave that comes out that is created, for instance, with a nuclear bomb. So you set a nuclear bomb off. There's lots of ways to do it, but if you set it off high in the air, let's say a mile or a thousand, a few hundreds of feet. I don't know what the the elevation would be. Instead of exploding it on the ground, it does less ground damage, but it does more damage from the EMP shorting out. All the electronics and whatever. And just think of so that's think one, of one thing. Think of America, just our country, losing power. Well, you couldn't do that all that's, to America, but you could do it into a local. As of now, if you set up a nuke above a city, there'd be a whatever miles radius where it would do it. So who knows? Yeah. What, what, but that ex- that that does exist. That is a true thing. So I don't know yeah. if somebody could do it on a more mass scale, but yeah, for sure. So if you get a flat tire, just be happy that that didn't happen. That's right. That uh, all electricity in your town. Yeah, I mean, and, it'll be for sure used for cheating. You're going to see your spouse or something. You oh, follow yeah, yeah, your yeah. kids, what they're doing. You'll, your your kid will get home and just zoom in all the way. Your Fitbit could do that. It's like, man, your wife's heart alerts uh, you. Your wife's heart rate is, is the exact <laughs> identical pattern to her <laughs> orgasm. Where are you? <laughs> <laughs> she's, and she's at the Drury Motel on Sixth Street. So. <laughs> it, it'll be really depressing. So, like, so I'll see it when her and I are together. And her Fitbit heart rate went up for thirty seconds, and then all of a sudden, she's, I'll see when she's with another guy. That's yeah. a little bit longer. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I had to feel bad about myself. All right, that's the damn news. Thank you guys for listening, Joey. You got anything right. you want to say? Yeah, just these BC Club names. The BC Club keeps on growing, and we have Vanessa L. Floors, Sarah. 
Dyson, Casey Zills, who actually oversees our social media department. Thanks, Casey. Jessica Cherry, Josh Morton, and Justin Willis. Everybody else who are losers and not in the club, you can go to thebcclub.com. It's a a fun little community that we have there. and We give you some free stuff, but most importantly, we give you an extra episode Mm -hmm. weekly. And you if you're in the BC club if you join there at the correct level then you'll be you can get the new Matt and Toby record for free and the new classic crime record for free and if you don't want to do that please go buy those two records people they're Heck they're yeah. big deals to us we just had the classic crime on the other day the record is amazing and the Matt and Toby one is twice as good i, I mean y'all have, I, know, <laughs> no, I know but here's what's really crazy if everybody listening to this podcast uh, it's Matt and Toby it's two of the podcast listeners that you like this podcast Y'all could really help us have like a a big record in the world, like a Christian record. Like I mean, this is it really is like it's it's wrestling with faith and all stuff. Like we could help change Christian music. Like with your help, we actually could. I I mean, seriously, we could actually make it to where people go. Wait a minute, this is crazy. It's not just Chris Tomlin or whoever on the radio. Like we might could actually have something here. Well, Toby's correct mathematically. If everybody who simply listens to this podcast or this episode bought a copy of the Matt and Toby record. This gives you any uh, idea of the size of the two in- intellectual properties there. If everybody who listened to this podcast bought a Matt and Toby record, it would certainly be number one Christian album in the country and would most likely be in top five or of just total albums <laughs> for the week. <laughs> for next that week. would be so Not amazing. Not going to happen, but that's, you just, it really would matter if everybody would just go ahead and just buy the I record. I know, it really so, would matter. I, I mean, it really would. So Anyway, but thank you guys either way. All right, we're getting out of here? Yep. See you. Right. Yeah, we need the blessing. Well, I was just going to say, everybody out there, you're not in hell. Yeah, at least Whatever you're not you're going, in hell. What, you get laid off, <laughs> you got laid off from your job? What, your wife's divorcing you? are not in hell. <laughs> You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com.